Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you again for joining us every week at the same time. Uh, if you just caught us for the first time and you're really enjoying what you hear, though, set your DVR, man, you can uh, watch it then at your leisure. We're teaching a series on the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to teach uh, the fourth lesson on Hebrews, the eighth chapter. Uh, but if you've missed any of these teachings and you'd like to go back and say, well, I'd just like to hear what he taught about the rest of it, it is archived for you so that you can watch it at your leisure. Uh, the best way to, to go and, and do that is to simply go to my website at lenhouse.com, and I think there's probably on your screen uh, continually there our website. Uh, on the website, on the opening page, uh, you will see an icon up in the upper right-hand corner uh, with a YouTube signature on it. If you tap on that, that will take you directly to our YouTube channel where everything we have aired to date is archived there for you to watch at your leisure. If you subscribe to that page, we will send you an email, or, or YouTube sends you an email every time we upload a new program, and we do that every week. Uh, it's free. You don't have to pay anything to do that. We, uh, we make that available to everyone. If you uh, know someone in a foreign country uh, who would like these programs but they don't speak English, since we put our closed captioning on those programs, they can watch it and listen or read it in their own language because it translates in every language around the world through YouTube. That's a phenomenal tool, and we appreciate that. Uh, secondly, if you want to listen to the audio portions of our program, you can go to our website again, and the link to iTunes is our podcast is there, and you can go and download it or stream it through your car, your smartphone, while you're mowing, while you're doing dishes, uh, redeeming the time. Uh, man, if you get stuck in traffic, this is a good way to just really feed your heart while you're sitting in traffic, sitting on an airplane whatever you're doing to redeem time, and that's available also for free. And if you have an Android device, there's an RSS feed, and that link is also there from our website. And we really encourage you to tell people about to Go sign up for those things because they let you hear this over and over again because there's so much material that we cover that it's impossible to get it in a 30-minute segment, and I believe you'll be blessed by doing that. Let me also mention very quickly, because it's what helps us to be, stay on the air, is the, uh, the, the folks that get our, our products and our, our, our resources. The first book I want to mention is, is, the t is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, this book is really a, a book about revealing Jesus from the book of Revelation. It's primarily the uh, letters to the seven churches and what they needed to shift their thinking about in order to enter into a new covenant mindset, a kingdom paradigm. And I believe this book will really bless you, especially you've been fearful about the book of Revelation. This book comes from a completely different view, and I think you'll be blessed by it. The second book is titled The Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and it's really about what really flows from the incredible posture of rest. I take the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day, and I talk about how they prophetically picture what flows from this incredible uh, posture called rest. I'm convinced that uh, rest does not make you a spiritual couch potato. It puts you in a position or a posture where there's an outflow of milk and honey. 
And so I believe you'll be best blessed by this book, Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And the last book I wrote that literally came off the press in the last several months is from Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. Pretty much everything we teach comes from this viewpoint. How to shift from Old Covenant to New Covenant and how to make a paradigm shift in your mind. And this book will help you to do that. If you can only get one book, this is the book I would get because it's probably the bridge that ties it all together. And in this book, I talk about uh, how that the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom are linked together and they're married together because what has to happen is a lot of people turned from the government of law and they turned from religion, but they didn't turn toward the Lord. And so repentance is not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. And this book will help you uh, to be able to not just turn from religion and from law, it will help you turn to the government of living spirit and to the government of affirmation. It will bless you greatly. One other thing that I haven't mentioned much is our message of the month club. If you go to our website, we have a message of the month club and it is $7 a month or $70 a year and we send a CD out to you. And that's part of our partner base that helps us touch millions and millions of people through television. Let's get into the Word because I want to be able to finish this segment today from the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go back there and we're going to begin to read from the book of Hebrews uh, chapter number 8. And we're going to try to make some uh, some more comparisons. It's just, uh, just impossible to cover it all in one segment. But I think we've done a pretty good job of, uh, of covering some of it. Hebrews 8. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is what it all adds up to. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, talking about the heavenly sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is all ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to alter to offer. For if he were here on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, and I want to come back and I hope be able to, to at least touch this scripture in a little bit more detail, that the tabernacle that Moses made was a pattern of the true tabernacle in the heavens. It was a pattern of the heavens. Uh, he said, who serve under the example, he's talking about the, the natural tabernacle, and shadow, it was the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to just work on this a minute. When, when God appeared to Moses on the mountain, and he said to them, let them build me a house. Here's the heart of God. Let them build me a house so that I can dwell among them. The heart of God was to live with us. And he tells Moses, if you will build in the earth what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. God was looking for a house where He could dwell with His people. I, I, I'd say it like this, if you build it, He will come, especially if you build it after the pattern that was seen in the heavens. So God's desire was for them to build Him a house so that He could live with them. And He said, if you build in the earth 
what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. When I begin to look at the sea, and what we we really, this is to me such a passionate part of my ministry. Because the gospel is not just about how we get from here to there. And I do believe there's a there. I'm not taking anything from heaven. But what God wants to do and has always wanted to do since man lost that vital relationship and intimate walk with God in the cool of the day, God has always wanted to come and live with us. But what we, we do with the gospel is we make this about living 70 or 80 years in misery here, and then we get to go there, when in reality God was saying, if you build in the earth what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. So the gospel is about thy kingdom come, your will being done in the earth as it is in the heavens. And I know there's a lot of people these days that are trying to circumvent some of the patterns and principles that we see in the tabernacle of Moses, but the tabernacle of Moses was a pattern of the true tabernacle that was in the heavens. In other words, it was an earthly, it was an earthly expression of what was going on in the heavens. I, I probably shouldn't chase this rabbit, but I'm going to do it anyway. Even when the camp was at rest, if you would look at the camp at rest, when the children of Israel were camped, there was three on the north, three tribes on the south, three on the east, three on the west. In other words, they were camped in the shape of a cross. The furniture of the tabernacle was arranged in the shape of the cross, and every piece of furniture was placed at a bleeding spot. Jesus is the tabernacle. And everything about Him is the pattern of His redemptive work to restore relationship with us. And let me, let me, let me work on this a little bit more. Even when you get into, for instance, each one of these 12 tribes had over them a banner. For instance, Judah was the symbol of the lion. Uh, Reuben was the symbol of a man. Dan, the tribe of Dan, was the symbol of an eagle. And Ephraim was the sign of an ox. You see those four faces of the living creature in the book of Revelation when you're seeing uh, Revelation 4, and there was a door open in heaven, and the view of the heavenlies that's pictured there is with the four faces of these living creatures was the four innermost tribes of Israel that were in the tabernacle, I'm sorry, facing towards, inward, they were facing inward towards the tabernacle. The central piece, the center of their universe was the tabernacle, was the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now let me just let me just work this a piece a minute. But every one of these 12 tribes had a sign or a banner over them, like I said, with an eagle, a lion, a man, an ox. But every one of these, I don't know if you knew this or not, there's a lot of material out there that you can get this from. But every one of them corresponded to the 12 signs of the zodiac. So that the 12 tribes of Israel were aligned in the 12 signs of the zodiac, so that what was happening was, what was happening in the heavens was being reproduced in the earth. The book of Job grabs a hold of this and he says, can you loose the band of Orion? Orion is not just a movie company. It was a constellation. Can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades? That's, that's, a, that's dealing with stars constellation. Can you bring forth Maseroth? Maseroth was the 12 signs of the zodiac. And then God asked Job this question, do you understand the ordinances of the heavens? And can you set their dominion 
in the earth? In other words, can you take what's happening in the earth and re- in the heavens and reproduce it in the earth? That's what God was doing. See, even when he writes, it says, you know, night unto night they utter speech. The heavens declare. He's not just talking about, well, you go outside and the stars are pretty, and that's like, well, there must be a God. He said, no, no, no. Long before there was ever holy writ, and long before men ever polluted it with what we call the zodiac today, God wrote his plan in the stars. And the first sign begins with a virgin who has a, a, a piece of corn in one hand and a wave of sheath in the other hand. Her name is Virgo, and what she's saying is a virgin is going to conceive. And if she conceives, she's going to have a, a, a corn of wheat. And if that corn of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. She's waving a sheath with this one. The other end of the 12 signs, <coughs> excuse me, is Leo the lion. He's, he's, he's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed. I don't want to get into all of that except to say that when God wrote his plan long before there was ever holy writ and men polluted it with zodiac because see the zodiac is not about you it's about him and his redemptive plan and his redemptive work in the earth to bring about establishing his house and tabernacle in the earth but when you see all of that all of this stuff was pointing to the heavenly tabernacle and what was in the heavens being reproduced in the earth it's amazing to me even when Balaam is hired I believe it was by Balak to curse the 12 tribes of Israel when he went up on the mountain the third time. And this is what he said when he would not, see God wouldn't allow him to curse Israel. But this is what he says the third time he goes up on the mountain. He says, when I beheld Israel in her tents. If he was beholding Israel in her tents from a high place, he could see them camped in the shape of a cross. And when he saw Israel, And the camp was at rest, because when you and I are at rest is when we have understood the finished work of the cross of Calvary. That's what puts the camp at rest. But when Balak, or when Balaam saw the camp at rest, or he saw the people camped in the shape of the cross, he reared back and said, if God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? If God has blessed, who can reverse it? What I'm simply telling you today is there was a true tabernacle in the heavens, but God told him, make this in the earth, because these give us patterns to teach the redemptive work of Christ from. And I could just start out by saying, even as you come through into the tabernacle of Moses, the very camp that was right at the entering at the first gate of the entrance was Judah, so that we would say, I will enter his courts gates with thanksgiving in my heart and into his courts with praise. You had to pass through Judah's tent in order to go into the tabernacle. As you go on in, you will see there's a a brazen altar. At the brazen altar is where the blood was shed. It's where the sin offering was given. It's where the, see, those to me are powerful points that show you where Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice, offered himself to God by, and we're going to see even in this eighth chapter, the Bible said he offered himself to God. And as he offered himself as a perpetual sacrifice forever, the blood of that offering was better than the blood of bulls and goats. It was better blood, better sacrifices, better promises. But then you pass by that uh, brazen altar. That was the first piece of furniture. Then you would come to the second priest, which was the brazen, uh, uh, brazen laver or the sea of glass, because it was made from the looking glasses of the women who stood at the entering in of the gate. They took an offering one day of the brass polished looking glasses of the women, and they made this great big basin or great big sea. Moses called it the brazen laver. Solomon called it the sea of glass. 
they put water in that big basin that came, get this, from the smitten rock. And then they took the sacrifices and they would wash the sacrifice, they would wash the hands and the feet of the priest, and then they would go into the next room. The second dimension, or the second piece of furniture, to me speaks of our identification with his death. At the brazen altar, the blood was shed, but the second piece of furniture, full of water, speaks of water baptism. And in the New Covenant, water baptism was equivalent to the token of circumcision in the Old Covenant, because in the Old Covenant they had circumcision in the flesh. In the New Covenant, we were circumcision is of the heart. And that token of the covenant in the new covenant was we were baptized into Christ so that when we go down into the waters, we are identifying with his death. So the gospel is both objective and subjective. Said another way, it is both the way of grace and the walk of faith. It is what God did in Christ and then my response and identification to it. I'm thinking while I'm sitting there, I'm just so overwhelmed with stuff because see, the first piece of furniture God told them to make when they made the tabernacle of Moses, and this is not an accident, but the first piece of furniture God told them to make was the mercy seat. And that's because that, uh, what the gospel, first of all, is about is not about man's approach to God, but God's approach to man. He had to first come out and give us mercy. He had to give us grace. So he made the mercy seat first because the mercy seat is about God giving us grace. So it is first the gospel is first about God reaching out to us. I love him today because he first loved me. God initiated something and gave me grace and mercy and my response is I come in. God comes out to meet with me and I come in to meet with him. So he gives me mercy, he initiates the way of grace and my response is the walk of faith. God gives grace, it's what he did in Christ that's sovereign that needed no help from me in the complete and perfect sacrifice. That's grace. My response to it is the walk of faith. I come and identify with the blood. I apply the blood. There to my heart was the blood applied. I put it on the doorpost of my house. I have to apply the blood. Then I come to the brazen, uh, uh, I come to the brazen sea, if you will, or the, or, or the, or the, uh, the brass lever identify with water baptism. It also speaks to me of the washing of the water by the Word. A lot of Christians have come to that first dimension, that first pattern of the heavens. That's the outer court. But the second dimension, it had the candlestick wherein was the uh, oil of anointing that flowed out to the branches. It was the table of showbread and the golden altar of incense. Three things in the holy place or if you will, the second dimension, the second room in the, in the tabernacle, which was a pattern of the heavens, had the golden candlestick, the brazen, or I'm, I'm not, not brazen, there was nothing brass in there, the table of showbread, and the golden altar of incense. That to me speaks of the second dimension of the work of God in our life that happens at Pentecost when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We were born again, water baptized in the outer court. We come to the next dimension, there's an oil of anointing. There's an anointing that flows from the Holy Ghost, that flows out to the branches, that gives light. I could take a lot of things and tell you that the scripture says, for he is the vine and we are the branches. I could tell you everything, there's a lot of pictures here that could be the typology is endless. But simple set, simply put, that the anointing oil flows through the central shaft, which is Christ, who is the vine, and we are the branches, and the oil of anointing comes to flow out. And on each side of that uh, 
on each side of that golden candlestick was nine sets, there was nine, it was uh, three branches on each side with three sets of ornaments, which equals nine. So there was nine sets of ornaments on each side. Now what that speaks of is nine fruits of the Spirit and nine gifts of the Spirit. Now if you have all gifts and no fruit, you're going to fall over and be out of balance. But if you've got gifting, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, and the oil of anointing flowing that gives power and light to it, you're going to be able to be a light to the world. You're going to be a city set on a hill. The central shaft, which was Christ, had four sets of ornaments, which equaled the number 22, and the Bible 22 number literally means light. It had, uh, if you will, 66 single ornaments on it, and there are 66 books of the Bible. <laughs> to me, those are not, I mean, that, that's not an accident. 66 books of the Bible, that tells me they didn't leave any out. That's powerful. The other side is the table of showbread, which is really talking about the bread of face, or eating the bread, which is the body of Christ. Now, the candlestick, of course, the light from that shines and gives revelation to what's going on at the table of showbread. And we feed on the Word there. There's, there's just something that happens in the second dimension of your experience with God at Pentecost. I could tell you that it also corresponds to the three major feasts in Israel. The outer court is Passover, the holy place is Pentecost, but the third room is the Feast of Tabernacles or the most holy place. I hope I'm not going too fast for you. But the third piece of furniture in the second room was the golden altar of incense, and it speaks of prayer, praise, and worship. That's been the predominant moves of God we've seen through most of our history. Now, I'm not saying that as we go into the most holy place, we do away with those things. I think many people have thrown the baby away with the water, and they say to me, are you a third, because this is how the terminology they use, they say, are you a third-day preacher? I say I'm a three-day preacher. I preach all three days, all three feasts, all three relationships, all three courts. I believe in Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. I believe in being born again, water baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, fruit of the Spirit, anointing of the gifts of the Spirit, the preaching of the Word at the table of showbread. I believe in praise, prayer, and worship and incense, but I also believe there's a dimension beyond Pentecost which Melchizedek is the priest of the Most High God, and the Most High God is always related to the third dimension called the Most Holy Place where there's a mercy seat. It's where we go in beyond the veil where he becomes the mediator, and we're, the mercy seat becomes the love seat, and in that piece of furniture, in the mercy seat, there are three things. The unbroken tablets of the law, the rod of Aaron that budded, and the golden pot of manna. And it tells us about that in this chapter that we're reading. Those three things to me speak of something very powerful because the first time I found the word ark used in the scriptures, it was not translated as ark. The ark of the covenant and the mercy seat was the only piece of furniture behind the veil in the third dimension where the priest of the Most High would minister and remain. And what I'm simply saying is that the first time the word Ark is translated, is translated as a coffin. It was where they brought Joseph's bones up out of Egypt, and he said, don't you leave my bones in an Egyptian graveyard, and that they brought his body up in a coffin. The word coffin there is the same Hebrew word that we translate ark. When I saw that, 
it, something went off in my spirit. I said, God, if the ark is a coffin, what's in the coffin? He said, there are three things that are in the coffin. And, then, and, and let me show, show you this. These things in Hebrews 8 are pattern of the true. On resurrection morning, at the tomb of Joseph Arimathea and the book of John, the Bible said when Mary stooped down to look into the tomb, she saw an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. Let me tell you that what that's a picture of is the mercy seat. This is the mercy seat. And where Jesus had lain, and what's between these two angels is called our propitiation. Our, the word propitiation is the word mercy seat. What Mary just found was the real Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The one that Moses built was only a pattern or a picture, but this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the true tabernacle, and it is the true mercy seat. And inside of this mercy, inside of this Ark of the Covenant was the unbroken tablets of the law. So that that coffin, if that word Ark is coffin, the Ark or, 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 or the, the, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant became a coffin for the law. I said, Lord, it became a coffin for the law. He took me to Romans 7. He said, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And then he said, the, the rod of Aaron that budded was the Levitical priesthood. He said, you become dead to the priesthood after the order of Levi, and there's a new rod that says, hallelujah, has come up out of the stem of Jesse. His name is Jesus. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the third piece was the golden pot of manna that never rotted. When God gave them the law, or when God brought them up out of Egypt, He said, I'm going to give them manna to see if they'll obey my law or no. The answer is no, they did not obey the law. But Jesus came on the scene and said, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. He obeyed every jot, every tittle, and then took it to the cross so that He put a golden pot of manna, the hidden manna that never rots, that never corrupts, the hidden manna that you and I can feed on in Revelation chapter 3, I believe it is, and that we can partake of is His death, His burial, and His resurrection. But He took all of your rebellion, put it inside that coffin, and then put a lid on it. He put a mercy seat on top of it. That's powerful. And if you take the lid off and you look at the law without mercy, you're going to die. The men of Beth Shemesh took the lid off of the mercy seat and 30,000 people dropped dead because when you preach law without mercy, I want you to know it's all in the box. It's all in the coffin. And it's laid up before God as a high priest who can forever, hallelujah, have this, this pattern in the heavens that's so complete that when God sees us, He sees us through a mercy seat. He sees us as if we never broke one law and we never violated any of rebellion to Levi or that we never broke the law that's personified in the hidden manner. All of that is laid up before God and God can have mercy on them that are out of the way. I, I, I'm out of time. Take a moment, if you don't mind, to write to, the, uh, to us and, and help us, if you can, with a generous gift. You can send it to the address that will come on the screen with a check or money order, or you can go to our website and give via credit card. That's the easiest way. You don't have to wait on phone lines or anything. You can also set up a monthly debit there if you'd like to become a partner, uh, or you can call that number on the screen. Somebody will be standing by to take your uh, credit card or your offering or your prayer request. If you don't receive, uh, if, if some, no one's there uh, to take your call at the time because of being on the line with someone else, please leave a message and we will get back to you. God bless you. We trust that this has blessed you. And this segment we're going to uh, try to conclude uh, with this session. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.